0: Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This little podcast is a safe space to talk about the movies we love, the good and the bad, acknowledging their issues and celebrating their successes with a healthy dose of nostalgia thrown in for good measure. And because I'm a librarian by day and don't need an excuse to talk books, at the end of our conversation, I'll give you a few book recommendations you might like if this movie sounds like your cup of tea. Before we dive into today's movie pick, 1964's Robin and the Seven Hoods, a quick ask. If you like the podcast and want a free and super easy way to support what I do, please consider rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. You can also just share the podcast with someone or someones you know that you think might enjoy the fun as well. Word of mouth marketing. I would be ever so appreciative. So when I sit down to think about what movies I want to talk about, it's it's always a hard call because I get my most engagements, the most listens on movies that are coming from the 80s and 90s. And I get it. I totally get it. It is my favorite time of movies as well. It is what I grew up with. It is the movies that I find the most entertaining. But I also have this deep and abiding love for older movies as well. And usually when I post about those, I just don't get the feedback or um, the listens that I get for other things. And that's cool because I'm not really doing it for all of that. I, I do say, please share, please let other people know it is more fun when there's more people as a part of this conversation that I do feel like it's a conversation because I do have people come up to me or reach out to me and want to talk about the movies that I've been talking about. Um, But I really am doing it for me. I I get an opportunity to talk about things that I weirdly have a passion about that I love. And I am starting to think that I have really weird movie tastes. It's kind of all over the place. There's not a lot of people I've met that will just do random, weird, very intense deep dives into one particular actor's filmography only because they heard their voice in a I don't know, in a commercial um, somewhere and you're like, oh my goodness, that person, I should watch everything that they watch. That doesn't really seem to happen much. Uh, but I like to visit these older movies because they hold a special place in my heart because I have been introduced to such great storytelling, interesting storytelling, problematic storytelling from movies from the past. There was something simpler about those movies. There's there was a charisma to the actors, both, you know, male and female actors that I don't think you really get anymore. A simplicity, there is a minimalism to the storytelling as well that I really enjoy. And so I I like to come back and talk about them from time to time. This one, we're not going to do a season of D. Martin, even though I could easily do it, but he was probably the first we'll just say celebrity, that I I did that full kind of deep dive into. And I wish I could remember why. And I honestly cannot. There was something that caught my attention, and then it was – the biggest rabbit hole you could get into years long rabbit hole, kind of an expensive rabbit hole because I would, I bought all of the DVDs that I could find and movies that he was in. I have a a giant record collection. My family got involved in the rabbit hole. They bought me this doll that you push a button and it's Dean Martin. And he brings a microphone up to his mouth and starts to sing. My older brother bought me the, um, Collections that you could watch infomercials on of his television show. He is just Dean Martin has become a part of my personality in a way, much like Dolly Parton has, much like goats or gnomes. Uh, again, I think I'm I'm starting to realize I'm weird, uh, and that's okay because I enjoy being me. But it was it was a very long season that I thoroughly enjoyed. Hilariously, as many movies as I watched with Martin and Lewis, and I loved them as a pairing, I never got into Jerry Lewis by himself. He needed the straight guy. And once that straight guy was kind of gone, even though sometimes the straight guy was kind of mean, <laughs> but, um, He needed that. He needed the suave, charismatic person with him. When there wasn't somebody with him, some of his comedy just kind of got old to me. I just felt like every character was the same. But if you want to see true physical comedy that, at its very best, watch the movie Sailor Beware. I might have mentioned it on here before. It's Martin and Lewis. They're in the Navy. Um, There's a whole big debacle, and it ends up that Martin gets Lewis into a boxing match, and they need him to win. And Lewis dancing around the, the, what is it? The ring dancing around the ring gloves, too big shorts, too big facing this guy that is just ginormous and watching him do what he does so very well or did very, so very well, um, is worth a watch. Sailor beware. It also has Betty Hutton, who is one of my favorite female actresses of that time. They call her Hetty Button, though, in the movie. She's very in it very just a little. It's more a cameo, but I love that she pops up. Um, it's worth a watch. But that was, I never really got into Lewis, but I got really into Martin. I didn't get really into Sinatra either. I have pockets of Sinatra love, uh, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit today, but Dean Martin. Dean Martin is my guy my guy forever. Uh, So today we are talking about Robin and the Seven Hoods because we are still talking about Robin Hood. This is a little late coming out this week. I do apologize. Uh, I had a bit of the the food poisoning over the weekend and just could not record, (laughs) but I am better. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, And so I wanted to make sure to get this out because next week I was hoping I was going to get to talk about the adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that because it still has not come in from the library. So. We're probably going to talk about Men and Tights because, again, how could you not talk about Robin Hood Men and Tights? Mel Brooks, genius. So I think that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then I'm going to have Watson back on the pod to talk about our favorite Robin Hood adaptations because there was not enough time in this month to talk about them all. And it is something that we weirdly laugh about a lot. So we're going to talk about some of those. But there is going to be an extra episode this month because it's a month of five, Tuesdays. And so, and it happens to be Halloween. And so if you were a big fan of the 1990s movie Casper, we're going to talk about Casper. I have a lot of feels about Casper. I'm excited. Robin in the Seven Hoods was directed by Gordon Douglas. I know exactly one of the other many, many projects on his filmography. I mean, he has a very long filmo- filmography. It's another Sinatra movie with Doris Day called Young at Heart. I picked it up actually not too long ago when I was doing a Doris Day deep dive. And I can't say I loved how that one ended. Day ends up with Sinatra, which I think you're supposed to like that. But as much as I like Frank Sinatra, I liked the, the first guy better. And I thought she should have ended up with him. Um, it was kind of one of those where they ended up together and then should they have been together because it was kind of a struggle. And Sinatra ends up being exactly who you think he is. So, it was an okay movie. I guess it's worth watching, uh, but not my favorite. Gordon Douglas started out as a child actor and was also the bookkeeper for MGM Studios. I mean, he really just kind of worked his way up through the studio. The movie was written by David R. Schwartz. He's mostly worked in television, but he also wrote a couple of screenplays with old stars that I kind of love, so I'll probably have to check those out You know, one day. I have a, a long running list of movies that I really want to see. I could only really find one production note for The Seven Hoods. And I'm not really surprised about that. They didn't keep a lot of, you know, a lot of stories about movies made in the 1960s unless they were huge, huge hits. I'm pretty sure that it doesn't come up, um, you know, this movie doesn't come up on the list of movies... Anywhere as one of the top movies, <laughs> so. But Robin and the Seven Hoods was filmed in October. Uh, it started filming October 31st and ended December 1963. So according to Robert Osborne, who was the primary host for Turner Classic Movies, if you're not a big fan of Turner Classic Movies, I'm not sure we can be friends. We can. Who am I lying? Let's let's um, I'll I'll turn you in love with it. It'll be fine. Uh, but this was a very troubled production for Frank Sinatra in particular due to two outside events. So much so that he kind of considered not completing the film. So the first one was, of course, his close friend President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and really sad time not only for the nation but Frank Sinatra, who was good friends with JFK, and then also Sinatra's son Frank Sinatra Jr. This was the time that he was kidnapped and held held ransom for um, about a week. He was returned a week later. Of um, a couple weeks later. So all of that was kind of happening. They didn't actually think this movie was going to get pulled off. And as I was kind of reading through some of IMDb's interesting tidbits, trivia, uh, which we'll get into that a little bit later, they kind of mentioned that that everybody was kind of surprised that the movie actually got finished. The movie stars Frank Sinatra as Robbo, our Robin Hood character, Dean Martin as Little John, Sammy Davis Jr. as Will, our stand-in for Will Scarlet, Bing Crosby as Alan Adale, uh, so he's our singing minstrel of sorts. Peter Falk as Guy Gisborne, the batty guy. Barbara Rush as Marion Stevens, and Victor Buono as Deputy Sheriff Alvin Potts. I'm just going to read you the one casting note I found because I find it extremely interesting. So Peter Lawford was originally cast as Alan A. Dale, but was replaced with Bing Crosby following a fallout with Sinatra. The feud stemmed from a scheduled visit to Sinatra's home by Lawford's brother-in-law, President J.F. John F. Kennedy, during a 1962 West Coast trip. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, who was long concerned about Sinatra's rumored ties with underworld figures, encouraged the president to change his plans and stay at Crosby's home which it was maintained could provide better security for the president. The change came at the last minute after Sinatra made extensive arrangements for the promised and eagerly awaited presidential visit, including the construction of a helipad. Sinatra was furious, believing that Lawford had failed to intercede with the Kennedys on his behalf and ostracized him from the Rat Pack, kicks him out of the Rat Pack. I had never heard that story. I think that's crazy. Um, All because the president... Was going to come and then not come in and all of that. Very interesting. Why he didn't just call up Kennedy in the first place if they were such good friends and be like, hey, I got this covered. I built you a helipad. Just come stay at my house. <laughs> As for box office report, the only information I could find about the box office is that it made about $9.8 million, which is not great, I don't think. I I don't know what the budget was, though, so I, I'm not entirely sure if they earned that back. But I do get to talk about what else came out that year, because I don't think we've talked about the year 1964 before. And Guys, it was a good year. Good year. So highest grossing films, top 10 highest grossing films of 1964. At the top of the list, Mary Poppins made $31 million. My Fair Lady was number two with $30 million. So close race between Mary Poppins and My Fair Lady. Number three was Goldfinger, came in at $22.5 million. The Carpetbaggers, have no idea what that is. From Russia with Love, A Shot in the Dark, What a Way to Go. I do want to talk about What a Way to Go. It stars Shirley MacLaine, and it's kind of an ensemble cast. She is this woman who is just looking for something in her life. She wants to fall in love, and she keeps falling in love with these men who are great when they first fall in love, but they want to give her more and more. They just love her so much, they want to provide for her, and they become these men that she does not know in the end. She just kind of almost wants somebody poor and just that will just love her. They can just be together. It has um oh Dick Van Dyke. It has Paul Newman. It it is great. What a way to go. Highly recommend. We'll probably talk about it one day. It only made $6.1 million though. So I don't that also says domestic rentals. I don't know what's really happening with this list. But we're just gonna we're gonna keep going. Number eight was the unsinkable Molly Brown great movie starring debbie reynolds the pink panther starting starring peter sellers it i know pink my family grew up watching the pink panther i love it and number 10 came in at a hard day's night with the Beatles. something i've also seen a lot of times because my father absolutely loved it loved the Beatles. um so good year for movies i i, I that was kind of fun to be able to look at what was happening the year of a movie coming out and it's really not hard once you've watched Robin in the Seven Hoods, as much as I love it and as much as I'm going to share that love with you, it's not hard to understand why it's not in that top 10 list. These are much better movies. As for reviews, this hurts me a little. Robin in the Seven Hoods holds a 40% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's too old of a movie to even have a consensus. So I have officially decided to just kind of throw out that score and name the audience score as the official rating at 70%, which as much as I love the movie feels It's, it shouldn't be any higher than, it should probably be a little lower, but higher than 40, I think it's not that bad. Roger Ebert wouldn't really kickstart his career until 1967, but I did find a review from the New York Times in 64 that was less than glowing. It reads, the minor whims- musical whimsy that arrived at the palace and other theaters yesterday under the just too cunning title of Robin and the Seven Hoods is almost as strained and archaic in the fable it has to tell of Prohibition-era gangsters in Chicago as the fable of Robin Hood, it travesties. Okay. Whatevs. So we've reached the t- the place of the summary. You know the Robin Hood story. This kind of turns it on its head. This is a movie musical, so it is peppered with songs. No songs that you really really know. It's not like they took kind of pop mainstream songs and and thrust them in there, which sometimes they do. If you watch a lot of especially Dean Martin movies, they are using movies from his or they're using songs from his albums a lot of times. <laughs> But or they eventually get on albums and they are the songs, you know, when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. It's in his movies. That's just how it goes. These these songs, not so much. Um, So Robin and the Seven Hoods, it's. It's all flash and no substance, so it's kind of a typical Rat Pack movie. It starts out with this undisputed kingpin guy, this big wig of Chicago named Big Jim. He gets smoked on his birthday. They bring out the cake. He's with all the gangsters of Chicago. Bring out the cake. Big Jim blows out the candles, and then his right-hand man, Guy Gisborne, leads the party in shooting up the boss. Gisborne is ready for a takeover, and with the support of the corrupt sheriff, uh, he decides to... Put a price on protection. He's going to blackmail the other gangs. If they want protection from the sheriff's department, they have to pay him. So they're forcing all of the gangsters to pay him this kind of quote protection tax. No, uh, Peter Falk plays the sheriff, and he sort of sings a song about the group still being all for one. And no. We'll get to it, but no Peter Falk. <laughs> no, but there's one gangster who refuses to pay his. This guy named Robo. It's one of Big Jim's good friends who was, happened to be out of town and didn't make the party, so he was not there for the shooting. Gisborne shows up at Robo's place when he's back in town, this nightclub pool hall, and he tries to get Robo to see the light, like guy, just come on, buddy, just come over to our side, just pay the tax, it'll be fine. But Robo is stubborn, and Gisborne leaves his nightclub with his own idea of how he's going to take over Robbo's turf. Robbo, on the other hand, takes a bet from this guy named little John playing pool in his place. And little John is a hustler and easily takes Robbo's money. Reminder that, um, little John is played by Dean Martin. And as he's hustling, Robbo at the pool table. He's also singing a very smooth ballad. Oh, It's beautiful. This doesn't upset Robbo that he lost all this money, though, because now he's got a friend and another criminal on the payroll. So he's got the smart guy on his side now. So Robbo knows that Gisborne is going to try to hit his place. He's going to try to take Robbo out. So Little John encourages him to hit Gisborne first. And that's just what they do. Except... They don't because Gisborne has the exact same idea. So they pick a night; they're going to go attack each other's places. They do not realize it's the same place, the same night as the other guy. So while Robo's man Will, played by Sammy Davis Jr., hits Gisborne's nightclub with axes and a gun, and they just shoot up the place, wreck all the tables, all of that. Gisborne, Gisborne goes after Robo's, doing the exact same thing. Both spots completely devastated. So Robbo decides he's going to build a new spot that can't be hit again or want somewhere, you know, nobody's going to be able to storm in this. No raids are going to be able to happen. They're not going to be able to touch me. So he hires an architect and as he's finalizing plans, Big Jim's posh daughter that Robbo didn't even know about, this girl named Marion, walks in and tries to hire him to kill the man who snubbed her father. Robbo refuses. He's like, I own a pool joint and I'm a gambler. I do not. Killing is not my game. I'm not going to kill anybody for you. Which she doesn't love, but she leaves. Meanwhile, Gisborne blames his defeat, the fact that Robbo was able to get into his place at all on the sheriff, who he quote, unquote, dispenses up. So <laughs> the whole movie, when they get rid of somebody, a new building is being built and this person is now in the block, the keystone block of the corner of the new place. So the sheriff's in the keystone. So, Marion thinks it was Robbo that came through offing the sheriff and tries to pay him what she promised. Robbo takes the money, but decides it's dirty money. He didn't do anything. He didn't really want the sheriff killed. So, he decides to donate it to an orphanage for boys. The orphanage's director, Alan A. Dale, played by Bing Crosby, goes to the paper and tells the media about Robbo's good deed. He can. He kind of sees an opportunity of like, hey, if I can get this gangster guy who has money on my side, maybe I can do some more good for these boys. And so now we have Robin, who protects the hood, (laughs) taking from the rich to give to the poor. And the good press serves as his own protection. Nobody's going to touch Robbo because now he's the star of the neighborhood. He's doing good things for the people. So he brings Alan Adale onto the payroll too. hey, keep this good press going, Robo's new place opens, and it's an instant success, filled to the gills, and then you see Gisborne's refurbished digs, and they're empty. Nobody's there. Everybody's over at Robo's place, and he cannot let that stand. So he works with the new sheriff to try to stage a raid on his competitor's place. But Robo's architect was too good. So with a flip of a few switches, the rooms actually, like, spin and transform, constantly eluding Capture. Gisborne and the sheriff can never actually get to where the gambling is happening because the rooms are constantly shifting. So then Gisborne um, tries to frame Rabo for the sheriff's murder. What else can we do to make, you know, to get this guy? So he frames Rabo. Rabo is arrested, goes to trial. And while um, he's not convicted and is let go, but while he's in jail, Marion comes back to his place, the the Robin Hood Foundation, the Rabo Foundation. And starts to work with little John. So Robbo discovers that Marion has kind of taken over all of his businesses and charities. And they were like clean businesses outside of the gambling. The charity places were actually raising money and giving to the poor. Um, But she kind of changes them all into these fronts. So like... They're just laundering money. All of them are laundering money, which Robbo doesn't like. So she offers to let Robbo serve as, continue to serve as the front with her in charge. But he walks away. Little John is like, "Hey, I don't. You've done my guy wrong." He leaves, and so she turns to Gisborne and says, "Hey, do you want to pair up?" Um, and so they they she starts to in order to get Robbo into kind of destroy public opinion of him. She starts this almost like League of women for a better government. it's like this League of angry women voters I don't know and turns opinion on Robo that women should really be running the government and so they go storming into Robo's place, destroy the place. Robo and gang run out the back door um, and then the next scene you see them they're standing on a sidewalk little John, will will sammy davis jr and robbo are um, still trying to raise money but they have no money so they are santa clauses for the salvation army ringing bells and then marion gets out of the car with alan adale who has now turned on them who has all this money um and they kind of walk into this big theater while they're just on the streets with no money we'll get to the ending in a minute that is how it ends robin hood doesn't actually win in the end the bad guy wins. (laughs) We'll get to it. A few of my thoughts on the movie. Uh, First off, Peter Falk should not sing. He should forever, forever play a grandpa reading his grandson a story about princesses and pirates and rodents of unusual size, but he should not sing. He should not sing. Uh, my favorite part of any movie starring Dean Martin is going to be Dean Martin, but Sammy Davis Jr. comes a close second in this movie. You get to watch him sing. You get to watch him dance. There's this whole scene when he's the one that gets to go destroy Guy Gisborne's place, and he just is enjoying it. He loves doing that kind of thing. You get to see his stellar comedic timing. It's He's just really good. I've never not loved him in a movie, so Second favorite part of this entire movie is Sammy Davis Jr. The best musical number is hands down Style with Sinatra, Martin, and Crosby doing what they do best. Um, Martin and Sinatra are trying to improve the Alan Dale character's style because he was kind of this frumpy, weird little dude. Uh, so they have taken him and he's trying on all of these clothes and then they all step out with tuxedos. Oh, their voices are like butter. Uh, Martin's is the best, hands down. We can fight about it if you want, but you will lose. Uh, but they are all three classics. You know, I, I will give you this. If the argument was young Sinatra's voice, um, then maybe, maybe. But old Sinatra's voice, it, it loses that smoothness. It's, at times, he's more talking than singing. <laughs> um, Martin never lost it. Never lost it. He was fake drunk a lot, but he never lost it. Uh, and during my rewatch... I realized that there are two particular scenes that sold the entire movie viewing experience for me way back when and now, actually. So first scene, the legend of Robo the Hood has been officially established. It's out in the media. Here's this gangster doing good for the community. And one of his hoods is kind of sitting in the office reading the paper while another is nearby knitting. He's knitting. How cute is that? He knits through the whole movie. <laughs> Little John is doing paperwork when this conversation kicks up. And I'm going to read you the conversation and I'm not going to do the voices. But it is it it is funny little conversation. It's very sweet and cute and just off, but often the right kind of way. So the gangster reading the newspaper starts and he says, I wish someone would tell me one thing. Who's Robin Hood? And so the guy knitting goes, a Robin is a bird. I know that. Must be some hood what steals birds. And so the guy's like, hey, what would anyone want with the hot canary? Then he goes, hey John, you know the guy this Robin Hood character? And John says, oh, yeah, he's some Englishman. He wore green underwear and had an operation going for him in the forest. <laughs> and the knitter goes, him birds like I told you. Oh, he was the guy with the raccoon hat. Sir Walter Raleigh was the guy with the raccoon hat. What was his angle? Well, he was the one that put his coat over a mud puddle so this naked blonde on a white horse could cross the street. Oh, I always thought that was Daniel Boone. They just go back and forth. They're all ridiculous and they get it all wrong, but it's in the most charming way. It's my favorite scene of the whole movie. And my second favorite scene is really just a moment. The moment of Dino being Dino. Gisborne is trying to raid Rabo's place with the new sheriff. But, you know, as I mentioned, the architect's plan is working really well. They just can't get into the room where the gambling is happening. So they storm into a space ready to make arrests only to find themselves in a church service. Um, Robbo Robo, and Little John walk up to where the pulpit is before the fake Reverend comes out, and that's played by Alan Adale and he starts to lead the congregation in a song called "Mr. Booze," harping against the devil of alcohol. And so, at one point, Sinatra and Martin stand up for part of the song, and I don't know—I don't know anything about music. I'm I'm tone deaf and rhythmically challenged, but there's in a song sometimes. It's almost like an aside, like two people core, like echo back a certain part of a song, but it's just their voices, if that's called something. But it's part of the chorus, kind of. So they get up and they do that. And then they both, like in unison, go to sit down. But <laughs> Dean Martin sits directly onto Sinatra's lap. And the look that the two give each other Is just the best. You can tell that they have been doing this together for years. You can tell that there is a genuine friendship there. There's a familiarity with everything that they do in their movies. And it is just that moment that I really, really love. My final thought is that the ending stinks. How do you have Robin Hood with no money, not able to give any more money to the poor? I do love that they have him still trying. Um. Even this criminal, this gangster who, you know, led a whole crew and took money out of people's pockets. Not, you know, forcefully, not violently, but he still did it when during the prohibition era when booze and gambling weren't allowed. I just, I, I'm, I'm glad that he was like, hey, I'm still going to try to raise money for people. And that, Um, little John and Will decided to do that too. But I just hate that they lost. They lost at the end of the movie. I think the sheriff is probably dead too. But this Marion who came out of nowhere just kind of takes over the whole operation and is now stealing people money from people and is okay with killing people. I just the, the ending is rotten. The ending is very rotten. So here's what you do. As soon as um, Robbo tells Marion no for the second time, um, I'm I'm not going to be your front man, you turn the movie off. You turn the movie off and you just know, just retell it in your head that Robbo um, was able to start his own business back up, take back from Marion what was his, and they all lived happily ever after with Robbo giving money back. That's what you do. Okay, so... you. You let me know how that goes for you. I wish I would have done that myself. A few interesting tidbits. Remember the couple of production notes from just a bit ago? Um, well, on the same day, there's a funeral scene where they are, um, at the towards the very beginning of the movie, Big Jim has passed. They are holding a funeral for him. He's not passed. He was shot. They're holding a funer- funeral for him. That was um, the same day that JFK was assassinated. And a scene depicting a kidnapping was filmed, but then was cut because of Frank Sinatra's son's situation. That's more than a situation, that horrible experience that they had as a family. When Alan A. Dale, played by Bing Crosby, is invited to take a seat when first introduced to Robbo, one of the hoods says, Take a seat, Pops. That hood is played by Crosby's son, Philip Crosby. Bing gives him a sideways look when he calls him Pops. Last theatrically released musical for Bing Crosby... Gene Kelly was originally hired as producer, but left three weeks before filming. It was later suggested that he left because of disagreements with Frank Sinatra over the amount of dancing numbers in the movie. There's like one dancing number, two, one and a half, one and a half dancing scenes. In Legend, Robin Hood meets Little John in a battle of long sticks while crossing a narrow bridge. We, there was a rich man from Nottingham, tried to cross the river. We, we did this last week. <laughs> This is the reference for Robbo meeting John while playing pool. So they still have their long sticks. Uh, In both cases, little John wins. Tony Basil of Mickey, you know, hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey, song fame is one of the dancers in the movie. And popular voice artist Paul Frees narrates the news announcement late in the film. So sometimes news clips come up. I believe it was during uh, Robbo's trial. Um, This, I always love when you get to hear like, oh, that was a famous voiceover artist, Um, because then I love to go and see, well, who else did they do? Freeze was also in, he did the voice of Burgermeister Meisterburger in Santa Claus is Coming to Town from 1970, in the 1977 animated version of The Hobbit, which if you've not seen it, let's Let's get on that. Uh, he voices Bomber and Troll Number 1. He was the voice of um, Santa Claus and Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey that came out in 1977. He was also the voice of Elrond in the 1980 animated version of The Return of the King. Again, if you've not seen it, you should. The Last Unicorn, he voices Mabruk and the cat. And, and he was the voice of Josephine. The female persona of Tony Curtis's character Joe in the Billy Wilder film Some Like a Hot. What? What? Oh, it's good. I love it. I love it. That's my last tidbit. I just love things like that. Does this movie hold up? Sure. It's a movie from the 1960s. You you take what it is. There's nothing overly problematic about it. I mean, they call women babe and toots a lot, but yeah, you know, I'm i I'm not a horribly offended by that, whatever. Um Movie night recommendations. This one, I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. As I mentioned, I I don't want to just be like, well, just watch another Robin Hood adaptation. I'm trying to find movies of a similar tone or vibe that you might really like. And so I came up with two. The first one, you've got to stay with the Rat Pack. Um, Settle in, watch Robin and the Seven Hoods, and then also watch the original Ocean's Eleven. It is much different than the later adaptation with George Clooney and... um, What's his name? Brad Pitt. How do I forget Brad Pitt's name? Oh my goodness! Maybe I should stop podcasting. I just forgot Brad Pitt's name. Uh, it's it's different than that, uh, but it's very similar. It's still a casino heist, and it it does have. Dean Martin singing the same song over and over and over in the movie. Ain't that a kick in the head? One of his best. It's okay. Uh, But if you like the Rat rat Pack, if you like that ensemble cast, I highly recommend the original Ocean's Eleven. I think you should also watch, though. Make it a three-movie night. night. That's okay. Or if you're not in the mood for another Rat Pack, pick up, and I've already talked about this on the podcast, but pick up Oscar starring Sylvester Stallone. It's about another gangster movie. It's got some humor in it. That's kind of why I picked it. Um, There's some miscommunication, much like, you know, the two gangs going to each other's place to to destroy each other's place on the same night, not knowing it. So it's about this gentleman who is a gangster, and he promised his father on his deathbed that he was going to go clean. And so he is trying to do that. He wants to become a banker, but this one day where he is supposed to become a banker, Everything goes wrong. Miscommunication out the wazoo, not necessarily from him, but everybody else around him. His gangster crew reminds me a lot of Robbo's gangster crew, and in particular that scene when they're trying to figure out who Robin Hood is, the way they interact with each other and kind of float off of each other, what they're saying. It is funny. It is ridiculous it has tim curry in it if you need me to sell it a little more 10 tim, tim curry he plays this speech pathologist who um is trying to make sylvester stallone more eloquent <laughs> and uh he tells him he has a dangling participle it it doesn't mean it's not funny when i say it but you gotta watch the movie Watch the movie Oscar. Highly recommend. And then I was thinking, okay, book recommendations. That gets even trickier. Like I said, there's not a lot of Robin Hood adaptations. So again, I was trying to go with similar vibes. So the first one I came up with has to do with that same kind of planning. You know, these two groups in Robin and the Seven Hoods are always trying to figure out how to get to one another. So I am suggesting The Great Train Robbery by Michael Crichton. Lavish wealth and appalling poverty live side by side in Victorian London, and Edward Pierce easily navigates both worlds. Rich, handsome, and ingen- ingenious, he charms the city's most prominent citizens even as he plots the crime of the century. The daring theft of a fortune and gold. So again, hey, he's going to steal from the rich. But even Pierce cannot predict the consequences of an extraordinary robbery that targets the pride of England's industrial era. The Mighty Steam Locomotive. Uh, it's a really good book. It has been quite a while since I have read it. It might be one that I'm gonna have to revisit because I don't fully remember it, but I remember just that that planning process. And I, I like the idea that there's some similarities and they're gonna take something for the rich. The second one is kind of off the wall, and I was trying to go with the ensemble cast idea. And so this has nothing to do with gangsters. This has nothing to do with rival <laughs> rival groups going after one another. But it is kind of this ensemble cast. A lot of people kind of playing their part in this particular story. And it is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reed. If you it's also a show on Amazon, it was pretty good. I thought the book was better, but it was a decent adaptation. So Daisy is a girl coming of age in LA in the late sixties, sneaking into clubs on the sunset strips, sleeping with rock stars and dreaming of singing at the whiskey a go-go the sex and drugs are thrilling, but it's the rock and roll. She loves most by the time she's 20, her voice is getting noticed. And she has the kind of heedless beauty that makes people do crazy things. Also getting noticed is The Six, a band led by the brooding Billy Dunn. On the eve of their first tour, his girlfriend Camilla finds out she's pregnant, and with the pressure of impending fatherhood and fame, Billy goes a little wild on the road. Daisy and Billy cross paths with a producer when a producer realizes that the key to supercharged success is to put the two together. What happens next will become the stuff of legend." It is It is really good. It is a quick read once you get into it. I highly recommend, especially if you just like a lot of characters telling a particular story. It's a good one. And with that, that is all that I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is always so appreciative. If you haven't already, I hope, again, that you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. You will automatically have Men in Tights pop up in your feed next month, next week, not next month, next week, um, if you go ahead and subscribe today. And if you've got the time, again, it would be awesome if you could write and review so that other individuals who like really random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they talk about. I own that. Well, those people can join in on the fun as well. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next